This is Wits. I'm John Moe. We have a terrific show just ahead full of comedy, conversation, songs, and surprises. Julia Sweeney is joining us. She's an actress, writer, comedian. Veterinarian. Oh, uh, hi, Julia. Wait, you're a veterinarian? Not licensed or anything, but I could do it if I really applied myself. I mean, how hard could it be? I, I think it's pretty hard. Lots of years at school. Oh, you're doubting me, John? Thanks a lot. I bet I could be a veterinarian, too. Or a space captain. Hey, there's uh, Martha Wainwright. She's on this week's show as well. Wait, Martha, you're doing so well as a singer-songwriter. Don't you think you should stick with that? It's 2012, John. I can be a singer-songwriter space captain. Don't oppress me. Well, fine. Writer, actress, comedian, veterinarian Julia Sweeney, and singer-songwriter space captain Martha Wainwright. Perfect. Thank you. We'll begin after the news. From APM, American Public Media, and Minnesota Public Radio, this is Wits. I'm John Moe, coming to you from the Fitzgerald Theater in St. Paul. And let me take a moment to orient you, radio listeners, and possibly audience members. St. Paul is the other city in the Twin Cities. It's smaller than Minneapolis. Our our downtown looks like someone really meant to build a full-scale downtown, but then kind of got distracted and went to read in a park somewhere and took a nap and never really finished it up. I've heard St. Paul described as Minneapolis's bookish older sister. <laughs> Happy to stand in the shadows with a fantasy novel or possibly a sketch pad while others get the attention. Never the homecoming queen, but likely to pick up a scholarship to Vassar. <laughs> Not an athlete, maybe a mathlete. To get to St. Paul requires some creative decision-making. You go to the Twin Cities, you naturally head toward Minneapolis. If you're in St. Paul, it means you've made a deliberate and kind of weird choice. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> I have chosen this to be my home. Not surprisingly, it's also the home to a great deal of public broadcasting. The world, though, is full of St. Paul's outside of St. Paul. And I propose that we, as a society, put more effort toward noticing and celebrating them. Because the second largest, second most popular, second most successful thing is generally more interesting than whatever's on top. There is more of a story there. Think about it, think about it. Say you could have dinner with DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, but separately. Will Smith would be all, hey, I had a hit TV show and then I became a big movie star, tra-la-la money. <laughs> but DJ Jazzy Jeff, what tales would he tell? <laughs> You'd get better stories from Oates than from Hall, I am sure of it. <laughs> they don't get the interviews, but they should. We should hold a DJ Jazzy Jeff and Oates concert right here in St. Paul. We could serve onion rings instead of fries. It would be outstanding. <laughs> Janet on Three's Company, smaller, apprehensive, employed in a plant store. She is St. Paul. <laughs> Trapper and later BJ on MASH, both of them St. Paul's. I can hand out a chart later. Gold medals at the Olympics, eh, you know, you won, you're the best. But silver medals, now you got drama. Anyway. 
like I mentioned, welcome to St. Paul, a place you've deliberately chosen through either your physical or radio presence. Welcome to Wits, a thing that is growing fast, and I hope one day it will be a little smaller than the biggest thing in the world <laughs> to keep it interesting. And oh boy, what a show we have. Julia Sweeney and Martha Wainwright are here. Along with John Munson and the witnesses. We take you now to a therapist's office in just about any pleasant suburb you care to imagine. Betty, let's start with you. Why are you and your husband in couples counseling today? It's not me. Jim wanted to go to this therapy. Everything's great on my end. Cake. It's all the cake. Betty, I can't eat any more cake. Doctor, let me walk you through a day in the life of Betty Crocker's husband. <laughs> Breakfast. Always Betty Crocker's famous buttermilk pan cakes. No one can resist. Every morning for the last 50 years. It's a fine meal. Your lunch is always a taste-tempting treat, too. The other guys on the job open their lunch boxes, and they have sandwiches. Me, four cupcakes. One red velvet, one devil's food, one vanilla, one German chocolate, a well-balanced meal. For dinner, birthday cake. Even when it's nobody's birthday, Betty. Every day is somebody's birthday. And... Doctor, guess what's for dessert? I'm going to guess cake. The only difference between the dessert cake and the dinner cake is that the dessert cake has three times as much frosting. You can never have enough frosting. Yes, Betty, you can. I have had enough frosting. My teeth have fallen out and I hallucinate all the time from the sugar. When you say no to cake, you say no to me. Good, good. This is productive, Betty. What is cake to you? What is cake to me? I am cake. That's all I am. I'm a trademark. That's quite a statement. What do you mean, Betty? I'm Betty Crocker. I was designed and created by General Mills to show housewives how to make their families happy with cake. Designed and created. I'm, I'm sorry, you're a cake cyborg? Yes. But it was hard being a homemaker with no one in my home, so the lab created Jim for me. He is supposed to love my cakes. I'm sorry, Jim. You said you go to work. I don't understand. Well, yeah, I, I wasn't real honest about that. That's just something I say. It, it's part of my programming. I'm supposed to be a, a regular hard-working guy, but really, doctor? I, I sit in the closet eight hours a day in the dark to simulate being out of the house. I, I sit there and I, I think about life beyond cake, about other interests I might want to develop. Like the Food Channel, Jim, you seem pretty interested in Rachel Ray. Okay. So I watch the Food Channel from time to time. It is normal for a man to at least look at other foods. You disgust me. What if our children walked in on that? Wait. Children? How can you two have children if you're... I love them so much. Alice is eight, she's very smart, and she's a wonderful little gymnast. Then there's Bobby. He's an angel, so good at sports, but also has a real talent for the piano. We have no children. 
They're two sacks of flour that you've drawn faces on. Don't be ridiculous, Jim. They're at the sitter's house right now. The sitter is a spatula that you also drew a face on. I'm 91 years old and I've wanted kids my entire life. It's not my fault that as intellectual property I can never reproduce because of copyright issues. I'm just trying to be happy instead of sitting home every day baking cakes for a husband who won't eat them. Betty, there comes a time in a man's life when he wants to try a Waldorf salad. Well, I hope you're happy with your whore of a Waldorf salad. I've been hiding vegetables in the garage. <gasps> we're going to stop there for the day, but I think we're off to a really great start, and let's schedule appointments for every day this week. Thank you for your time, Doctor. I've, well, I've baked you a few cakes. This is Wits. I'm John Moe. Julia Sweeney is with us. You might know her from her years on Saturday Night Live, her solo performance work on projects like God Said Ha. She's been in scores of TV shows and movies. She was in Pulp Fiction, you guys. Julia, welcome back to Wits. I'm so happy to be here. You were on our very first show, and you told this incredible story about your daughter Mulan and teaching her about sex, and lots of people reported uh, severe injuries from laughing so hard. We've settled most of those out of court. Um, it's cost us a fortune, but, you know, it went well. Have you continued to exploit your daughter? Yes, I have. Yes. I'm trying to stop. Um, yeah, I know. It's terrible. It's terrible. Um, I told that story, and I have other stories about her. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have a book coming out, actually, in the spring called If It's Not One Thing, It's Your Mother. <laughs> and Essays on... Uh... Uh, it's about being a daughter and having a parent and about things with Mulan and how I came to be her mother and all that kind of stuff. The first time we had you on, I was, I was surprised. Wait, she's in Chicago. What are you doing in Chicago? Are you, do you consider yourself now a writer and former actress? Or what, what do you do for a living now? What, how well, do we I'm describe writing. You? I'm yeah. writing. Um, I've, written, I've, written I've, yeah, I've written in television for a long time. I wrote on Sex and the City and Desperate Housewives. And I've written stuff from Chicago. And I still can get to New York easily. But... Yeah, I met a guy because of one, the third monologue I did called Letting Go of God. I got a letter from someone, and he said, I think you should marry my brother. Um, he's a scientist, and he lives in Chicago. Wow, and I said, fan okay. mail really works, I doesn't said, okay. it? No, no, actually, I ignored it, but it was a really well-written, it was a really funny, well-written letter. And, but, but I mean... I, you know, what, I, what, how, how was I going to respond to that letter? So I didn't. And then, like, a whole year went by. I did a show in L.A., and when I came out, a handsome guy was standing there, and he said, oh, I wrote you this letter a year ago proposing marriage on behalf of my brother. And I said, oh, right. And, and I go, maybe I'll write him. Maybe I will. And he said, don't. He's a jerk. And I said, really? And then it turned out that the two brothers got into this big, huge fight about it because he, he didn't know that his brother wrote this letter. Um, anyway, so then I wrote an email apart. to tell the brother, don't be so mad at the other brother. Anyway, the email started happening. We ended up meeting, and I married him. I married the brother. <laughs> so that's how it happened, people. It's the same old story. Same old story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
last time you were here, we didn't get a chance to talk about, about Pat. And yes. I, I've watched It's Pat, and it's a fascinating movie. It, it's like one of the, it received a 0% on Rotten I Tomatoes. I know. But it, I has, know. it has audience, it has an audience. It has people who oh, yes. swear by it. No, I, ha I meet people, There's not one. all the time. I won't say all the time, but I do meet people who love that movie and watch it. And I actually have a lot of affection for that movie. But I also say that I can't see it objectively because I was, it, I was bad. <laughs> How can I know? Yeah, you were. But it was, yeah, it was a big bomb. It was a big stinker. I think, I remember I went to the HBO Comedy Festival that year in Aspen and they gave People Magazine out, or no, Entertainment Weekly out to everyone. And when I went in my hotel room, there was a cartoon picture of Pat on the flap that you opened up. Like it was, and then it said, bomb of the year. <laughs> Wow, this That's week, hospitality. I need a picture of me right now because I really hope this is my lowest moment. <laughs> well, four years later, God Said Ha yeah. uh, came out in theaters. Yes. Huge hit, hugely popular. What, what, was, what was it like for the experience uh, you know, of, of dealing with cancer and dealing with cancer in your family? This experience that had been so painful suddenly becomes this huge, popular, career-making hit. That must have been just as disorienting in a different way. It was, way. also because that was the beginning of me mining my own family for material. That was the beginning of my descent into that particular <laughs> hell. Sometimes I get mad at my family for being funny. <laughs> Don't do this in front of me! Don't you know what I'm going to do with this material? Oh, lucky you. You happen to be listening to a show called Wits with your ear holes. We'll be right back with more from Julia Sweeney in just a moment. APM and Minnesota Public Radio. This is Wits. I'm John Moe, and here is Julia Sweeney. Thank you. Oh, boy. <clears throat> I went through a rather rigorous philosophical upheaval shortly before I became a mother, and this caused me to feel very deeply that I should absolutely never lie to Mulan. I felt I'd been deliberately lied to as a child, and I resented it. And even though my struggle had to do with religion, it bled out from there to Santa Claus, for example. When I thought about Santa Claus in the abstract, the myth's connection to my own childhood, and the joy of the festive images and the presents in the tree and all the folklore, it was great. It was a part of the seasonal fun of being a parent and being a kid. But when it came to the reality of it, to what you had to do to create that magical mystery, I balked. 
I felt incapable of peering into Mulan's sweet, open, naive, trusting eyes and lying to her. I was her protector and overseer, and this rankled me deeply. I just couldn't do it. Since Mulan was only two for her first Christmas with me, it was easy to just skip it all. When she was three, Santa Claus was around, but really he was just art. His cheerful image was on things, but I didn't feel compelled to explain him. And she wasn't even in school yet, so I didn't have to deal with other kids' expectations or assumptions either. By the time Mulan turned four, however, I had changed my mind. I felt I was cheating her out of a great holiday tradition and this wonderful feeling of magic and the remarkable characters and stories of her culture. I mean, come on, it was fun. Why was I such a stick in the mud? I didn't realize that it was actually kind of late to introduce the kid to the concept of Santa Claus. <laughs> At this age, she was already a person with some critical thinking skills, and when I began to tell her about Santa, I just ended up scaring the hell out of her. <laughs> Because I had dithered in my mind about how to say it, I delayed and didn't end up telling her about Santa until Christmas Eve. <laughs> that year, we were alone, just the two of us in Los Angeles. We had a tree and a few presents, but I kept most of her gifts hidden in the closet so that Santa Claus could bring them out. So just before she went to bed, I said, Mulan, I need to tell you something. There's this man. He... His name is Santa Claus, and he, frankly, he's been watching you. <laughs> she looked terrified. Maybe that wasn't the best way to begin. She said, when? I said, he, he can see you all the time. He's, he's sort of like invisible, and he can watch you, and he knows if you've been a good girl or not. Her face showed deep concern. She said, yeah, and I said, well, based on your behavior over the last year, which, by the way, in my opinion, has been very good, <laughs> well, based on that, he's going to come in our house tonight while we're asleep <laughs> and bring you some presents and put them under the tree. <laughs> what? Mulan cried. I know, I said. How is he going to get in our house, she asked. Well, he actually, he, well, he comes down the chimney, you know, through the fireplace. Why? Why doesn't he just come through the door? Because he's magic. I smiled and shrugged. So, Mulan said flatly, well, he's, it's his traditional way because he's magic and, Mulan said, but if he's magic, he could just make the presents appear there under the tree. I know, I said, that's a good point. <laughs> well, it's just his way, I scrambled. Mulan's face Filled with terror thinking about this, she actually began to shake. I'm not sleeping alone tonight, she cried. <laughs> I ended up letting her sleep with me. She had a hard time falling asleep, and every sound made, made her wake up and grab for me in fear. There was nothing about it that was fun or good or least of all magical. It was all horrible. <laughs> in the morning, while she was still asleep, I put the presents under the tree. I came into the bedroom and gently woke her. I said, let's go in the living room and see if Santa Claus came. She sucked in a loud and fearful gulp of air. No, she screamed, Mommy, no! <laughs> I had to lift her out of the bed, kicking and screaming. I had never seen her so afraid and deeply disturbed. The point is, I did not do a very good job with Santa Claus. Two years later, Mulan lost a tooth, and I realized I was going to have to go through all of this again.
Thank you. Julia Sweeney, ladies and gentlemen. Support for Wits comes from the endless void of space. Now available in diet space, chocolate space, and space for women. <laughs> Funding also provided by things. Do you have enough of them? No. Make sure to run around like crazy all the time to fill your home with more things. Things, they will kill you. Our next guest is a singer-songwriter, creator of an album with one of my favorite titles ever, I Know You're Married, But I Have Feelings Too. <laughs> Her latest album is Come Home to Mama. Here is Martha Wainwright. Thank you. Thank you very much. This song is called Can You Believe It? Sex. It's the only kind I ever get. No one I'm gazing on in the eyes. It's not for you, yourself I left behind. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Can you believe it? That's all wrong. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Feel so chip on my shoulder As I get angrier I get older There are fewer and fewer people to complain to So I built a ship of sh** and directed at you
Thank you. Martha Wainwright with John Munson and the Witnesses. That was great. Uh, I saw an article where your, your aunt said that your family uh, uses songs as a living room, as where other people would argue in the living room, you guys just write songs about each other. Your, your dad, Loudon Wainwright III, uh, complained about you living with him in a song <laughs> when you were 14. Yes. <laughs> your brother Rufus wrote a song called Martha where he complains about you. And you've written angry songs about your dad. Why do you people do this? Because <laughs> they're trying to one-up the other one all the time. You know, and, no, and, and I think it started, um, I think it started uh, with my father's father, if we could blame someone. He, he wrote a column for Life magazine called A View From Here. He wrote it for about 20 years. And it was uh, an, an editorial piece about his family life and um, essentially his family, American family life. And, uh, and I always understood my parents to have been married um, only in song, did I realize, <laughs> did I know this? Because they were divorced when I was very young. So I really, I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed the testament that they were actually together and in love at certain points um, in their songs. So I thought that that was sort of the norm and a sort of a way to express how you feel about someone. It's also kind of a safer way to do it because if it's sung nicely, you know, <laughs> you can say things that maybe you shouldn't. There, I, I even heard a song that was you and your dad complaining about the songs that the other person had written. Yeah, and you know, it's called the father-daughter dialogue yeah. and he says, you know, I'm not the guy in the songs, and then I say, yes, but you are, and, and, and I'm not being represented, and all this stuff. And then, it, I mean, and he wrote the song, of course. I mean, leave it to Loudon to write, here's your lines about how you feel. <laughs> but you know what, he's so much faster than I am. I could be bothered, I was just like smoking pot. I was like, whatever, is it gonna be on the record? Well, do you, do you suggest other families go about things this way? Is there? If we no. all want to try to emulate the Wainwrights? Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, and, and you know, my, my sister Lucy Wainwright Roach, whose mom is a Suzzy Roach, she's writing songs too and has a couple, she's got a great record out and she does it too. I mean, I, uh, of course I suggest it. I mean, why, you know, I, I people but, seem to like it. N not people that I know personally. <laughs> Does, but people in the audience seem does to it like help, it. They is go, it cathartic, oh, though? Like, oh, oh. Do, if you write a song about somebody in your family, when you see them next, are you, is it all worked through and everything's fine? I hope that they don't fine? listen to the records. <laughs> I mean, that's really all we can hope for. <laughs> um, your, your music is so intense and, and so personal, even when it's not talking about your family members. I wonder sometimes, what, if anything, do you consider off-limits? What would you not write music about? Um, <clears throat> uh, you know, I think I, nothing. I mean, in the sense that, you know, I think that um, art should be, um, an expression should be free, you know, and honestly free and, and true. I mean, of course, like you, you don't want to, you know, uh, you want to make it be interesting. You want to make it be beautiful in some way. You want to make it be important or poetic or revealing or, you know, have have another um, reason than just, you know, um, 
crapping on people, we can say that, right? Um, but, um, but I sort of say it all in song, you know, why not? Well, you do a great job. Martha Wainwright, thanks so much for being here. St. Paul is the home of Charles Schultz of Peanuts fame. You can see statues of Peanuts characters all over town. And here at Wits, we have acquired a lost Peanuts comic strip. It's from July 14th, 1957. It never saw the light of day. Uh, Charles Schultz's syndicate, the Newspaper Enterprise Association, refused to publish it. They said that it was too long. Uh, but according to journals, Schultz suspected that the truth was that the syndicate thought the public couldn't handle the content of this particular strip. And we're going to leave that for you to decide for yourself. We're going to perform a dramatic reading of this lost episode. I will be Charlie Brown and play the role of Lucy Van Pelt, Julia Sweeney. Thanks, blockhead. Oh, you're already in character. That's good. Sure. Okay. <laughs> and begin. Oh, good grief. Charlie Brown, don't be like that. Come on, I'll hold the football and you kick it. You don't think I'll fall for that one again, do you? What do you mean, Charlie Brown? Lucy, every time you say you'll hold the football, I run and come kick it and you pull it away at the last second. I do? You do, and I fall and land on my back. Really? That really happened? Yes, and then you laugh. You laugh at me. You laugh hard at my pain. I think I'd remember if something like that happened. I think you do remember. Anyway, I promise not to pull the football away, Charlie Brown. That's what you said last time, and the time before, and on and on. I, look at me, look at my eyes, I promise. I, I don't, I, I look in your eyes and I feel like you think you're telling the truth. I am. I am telling you the truth. They say a good liar lies so good because they believe the lie they're telling. They say that about me? No, I, I mean, oh, good grief. Is it pathological with you, the lying? I'm not lying, Charlie Brown. I wish I could trust you. Charlie Brown, the way I remember it is, I hold the football and you kick it and then we have fun and play and that's it, no incident. That's simply not what happens. What's wrong with you? What happened to make you like this? Me? Charlie Brown, remember when your kite got stuck in that tree? The kite-eating tree. Yes, exactly. Yes, of course, I remember. It ate my kite. Explain. Explain what? That, that tree hates me and loves kites. It ate my kite and smiled about it. Do you hear yourself? Charlie Brown, we call that tree the kite-eating tree because it's low and people fly kites into it sometimes. It's the kind of colorful, poetic expression we children use. You've personified the kite-eating tree such that the metaphor has become to you actual. What are you saying? You have a deep-seated persecution complex and only the most tenuous grasp on reality. Good grief. I think that grief may actually be the key to your situation. Your fits started when you were just a kid, remember? Fits? When your beagle puppy died. Died? What do you mean died? Snoopy, he, he's fine. I fed him this morning. He died of the puppy influenza when he was a couple of weeks old, Charlie Brown. Do you still see Snoopy? Of course I do. 
he's a very funny dog. He sleeps on his doghouse roof and talks to some birds and pretends to be an air ace. Your break with reality may be worse than anyone realizes. Ah, Lucy Van Pelt, don't you analyze me with your dime store psychiatrics. Actually, I only charge a nickel. This is about you, not me. You manipulate people. You're doing it right now. I'm not. I don't. I'm eight. I'm not crazy. Calm down, Charlie Brown. Kick the football. The tree ate my kite. Sure it did. Kick the football. Snoopy is alive. Kick the football. He puts on sunglasses and calls himself Joe Cool. And yet it's you who wishes he were cool. I, I am cool. Kick the football. And that's where it just ends. <laughs> Support for Wits comes from Taylor Swift, who knows about that one time you thought to yourself that maybe she was kind of overrated, and now she's written three songs about how mad she is at you. And from Spives. After our success with Sporks, we thought we'd have another hit combining spoons with knives. You know, for eating beef stew. Turns out everyone cut their lips and tongues real bad, and we just ruin all kinds of mouths. <laughs> Support also comes from Cheetos. Don't worry about Hostess going out of business, stoners. Cheetos loves you and is always here to take care of you. Much more still to come. This is Wits. This is Wits, I'm John Moe. Pop song correspondences. A letter to Axl Rose, jungle tour guide. Dear Mr. Rose, we are a group of seniors who recently employed GNR Tours for what was supposed to be a jungle safari of a lifetime. I speak for the entire group when I say we did not feel welcome in the jungle. We would like you to consider refunding some or all of our money. Oh, at first it seemed lovely. There were never any games, by the way. Bingo would have been nice. Mrs. Sweeney enjoys bingo. 
Now, we like that Mr. Slash dressed up and wore a top hat, but the rest of the orientation, the rest of it, there were parts we found confusing. Pull that fine, whatever you may need. If you got the money, honey, we got your disease. My disease? You have rheumatism? And why would we pay you for diseases? Is that something the young people do today? Get new diseases for fun? Whoopee, I have acid reflux. In the jungle, welcome to the jungle. Mrs. Wainwright didn't want to bleed. We thought we'd see colorful tropical birds and the comical monkeys and so forth. Well, I don't believe you when you said the animals were asleep the whole time we were there, mister. And I'm pretty sure the ones you did show us were stuffed animals. From there, it only got worse. You even admitted that. Welcome to the jungle, it gets worse here every day. You learn to live like an animal in the jungle where we play. We did not enjoy the learn to live like an animal activity. I'm 78 years old, I can't be a cheetah, nor do I wish to be one. My nose still hurts. Mrs. Sweeney's nose still hurts from where the elephant trunk was epoxied on. What kind of cockamamie jungle trip is this, we thought. We would have complained, but by that point, we were all scared of you. That was sexy. Mrs. Wainwright does not speak for the majority. One more thing. You said we were in Africa, but Mrs. Sweeney is pretty sure we drove by an Arby's. Mr. Rose, I understand. You thought leading a jungle safari with a group of seniors would be a hoot but clearly you were in over your head. Your shocking alcoholism and drug addiction could not have helped matters either. Now look, not everyone is cut out to be a jungle tour guide. Perhaps you and Mr. Splash and Mr. Strapling and the rest could find other work running a spook house or being in a Los Angeles rock band. Sincerely, William Brownstone, Paradise City, Minnesota. You're listening to Wits from the Fitzgerald Theater in St. Paul. I'm John Moe. Julia Sweeney, you make one-woman shows and tell stories on stage about your own experiences. Martha Wainwright, you make intensely personal albums, heartfelt, moving. <laughs> this week's game show is called It's Not Always About You, You Know. <laughs> I'm going to give you the name of a new character. It is not yourself. Julia, your task, 
present a short monologue from that person's point of view. Okay. Martha, a first-person song, please, from the point of view of that person. After each round, I will declare a winner, most likely in a capricious and unfair manner. You ready? Doesn't matter. Here we go. <laughs> scared. Julia Sweeney, the queasy detective. All right, I've got a lot of information. Oh, <laughs> I have to pick up here at uh, this crime site. Um, I just heard uh, from somebody running out of the 7-Eleven that somebody stole a lot of money. Oh, excuse me. Oh. Um, that's all I have. All right, Julia Sweeney. <laughs> It was interesting because as, as a one-woman performance, it was more of a slice-of-life thing. It wasn't yeah. so much a, a biography, an autobiography. Martha Wainwright, please present a song from the point of view of the queasy detective. Ooh, all right. Where you been? You've been making me sick. I'm going to award that round to Martha because she used the word sick in two different contexts and she resisted swearing, so. That one goes to Martha Wainwright. Martha, you, uh, you go first on this one. Old Mrs. Ghost Shover, the lady who shoves ghosts. Mrs. Ghost Shover, the lady who shoves ghosts. Hello, I'm old Mrs. Ghost Shover, the lady who shoves ghosts. I just got that last name. That was my last name even as a child. My first name's Annie. Annie, old lady who shoves ghosts, the old ghost shover. Now I am 82 years old and people expect me to start shoving ghosts away. And yet I refuse because I'm lonely and I accept the ghosts. But yet the ghosts are afraid of me because of this last name that I've been saddled with my entire life. Ooh. I, I'm giving it to Julia Sweeney on complexity. Uh, Julia, you lead on this one. Less important Deborah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be standing here. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, listen, um, 
I needed to talk to everyone today about something. Um, there is a massive asteroid uh, heading towards Earth. I didn't want to bother anyone about it. Um, <laughs> because I know everyone's so busy and no one cares about what I have to say, but as the lead astronomer at the Caltech Observatory that looks for asteroids, I just have to say, and I know no one's gonna listen, that we have only five more minutes left of life. Okay. She can have it. All right, all right, we'll move on. the winner on that one. Okay, that, that's, that's uh, Martha forfeits that one to Julia Sweeney. Uh, Martha, you're going to go first on this one. The grumpiest mummy. Mummy. between life and death. All right. I forfeit. Oh, Julia Sweeney forfeits that one. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, uh, finally, our final one here. Julia, Tracy Rella, Cinderella's cousin from Omaha. thinks that Cinderella is so nice. But I happen to know that she is this, I have nothing. I, Tracy Rella. Okay, no, going another way. You know, Cinderella, she, I don't have anything. I, I have nothing. Okay, well, well. We go over to Martha, <laughs> Tracy Rella, Cinderella's cousin from Omaha. I got nice feet too. <laughs> yes! And I love you. Why didn't you pick me up in your pumpkin last night? My sisters are beep beeps too. I'm alone with nothing to do. And, uh, why didn't you pick me up in your pumpkin last night? The winner of the game show is Martha Wainwright. Once again, here's Martha Wainwright. I was going to do something else, um, but I think to keep in the, uh, in the spirit of the show tonight and <clears throat> using family members and song, <clears throat> I'd also like to say that um, uh, I've been, 
I, I, I think you could say it, a bad mother. Today is my um, son's third birthday. And he's in New York, and we're here in St. Paul. And this song is called Everything Wrong. I do most everything
except for having you with your death. Wits is produced by Larissa Anderson. Our team includes Tom Campbell, Mike Wangan, Dan Zimmerman, Maury Jensen, Rob Byers, Julia Schrenkler, Andy Cruz, and Jen Dale. Wits is written by me and Allison Augusty, Lauren McGuire, Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, and Mary Mack, who's one of our actors. Music director John Munson and the witnesses, Steve Rome, Joe Savage, Richard Medic, and Janie Winterbauer. <laughs> Musical guest, Martha Wainwright. And of course, Julia Sweeney. Wits is developed by Tony Bull and Peter Clowney and is a production of APM, American Public Media. Find us online at witsradio.org or on Twitter, at Wits. I'm John Moe. Bye now. Yeah.